0: The thing. All of a sudden, now we're able to add these layers of royalty. and that's what Starbucks is doing to kind of tie this full circle. Starbucks just said, "We don't have a community of coffee loyalists. Yeah. We have a community of app users." And yeah. so, from and I listened directly from their chief digital officer, and he said, "Imagine how many amazing networking opportunities would exist if I could just connect coffee drinkers with coffee drinkers." And I yeah. was like, "Like that was an aha for me because I was yeah. like." <laughs>
2: Welcome to Thoughts That Rock where we provide three actionable steps, three thoughts to help you out on some problem, some issue, some obstacle. Sometimes it's not even an obstacle, it's just something we think would be interesting, but we're here to just, you know, make your life a little bit better, right?
1: Mhm. Yes, welcome. I'm-
2: I'm not just talking about your life. I'm talking about everybody, the proverbial <laughs> audience. Right. You're the muse, right. Grant. I look at you, but I think of the whole audience.
1: Well, I'm happy to represent. You know, uh, today's episode is uh, is, a, is a good buddy of ours, one of the very first guests on Thoughts That Rock yep. years and years ago when we started, Brian Fanzo. Um, Fanzo is a, gosh, a digital futurist, Um spent uh, a decade in cybersecurity with the Department of Defense before he sort of went out on his own. At the Pentagon, um, yeah. I mean, literally, like, uh, spent a lot of time the last few years talking about digital empathy and Web 3.0 and w- what the future of digital looks like. What does it mean um we do uh, really have an incredible conversation probably one of the longest conversations we've yeah. had since uh this this sort of new season and format started for us um but i think it's important that um when it comes to understanding and investing in nfts which is what this episode's about mm-hmm. um there's so much confusion and so much intimidation on what it is and how it works that um i think it needed that little extra time, right?
2: It did. And not only was he so good at giving us a different way of looking at NFTs and his perspective, the amount of examples. I mean, Mm -hmm. not just case studies and we talk about it for five minutes, like it was boom, 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 rapid fire. We had so much fun, but boy, he put a lot in there. So, you know, whether you're new to the game or... You, you just wanted to look at it a, a little bit differently. I, honestly, I couldn't think of anybody else. And we happen to know this guy. He's such a cool dude. I mean, I love Fanto. He's, he's great.
1: He's amazing. And listen, in the uh, you can go, of course, to the show notes for all the information yeah. that you're going to see for this episode. We do want to highlight that in the show notes is a link to a very specific 12 part podcast that Brian did specifically for people who want to understand sort of in layman's terms, what NFTs are, how they work and how you can start understanding and investing in your own NFTs. So make sure you check out the show notes for that as well. But until you have an opportunity to do that, you need to listen to this amazing conversation we have with Brian. Check it out. The man, the digital myth, the legend, Brian Fanzo's in the house. Welcome, brother. Great to have you.
0: Thanks for having me back. Uh, excited to, to chat with you guys as always. And, uh, you know, this is a lot of fun. This to me is, uh, you know, probably my my favorite part of uh, any day, any week, being able to catch up with, uh, you know, rock stars like yourselves. Man, I think,
1: <laughs> I think Brian was one of the very first guests
2: on Thoughtset Rock Number three is number three, yeah. And this was uh, this is pre COVID, I think we were 2019, so yeah, it, ago. Ago. One, of, one of the few that actually made a second appearance, cave drawings on the
1: wall. And he was <laughs> helping us back.
0: Now, I think I might have been in the green room of episode one of your recording, and then I was episode three as a guest, right? Like, I think that, if I remember <laughs> it correctly, right. it was something like that, but uh, yeah, yeah eons ago, so uh, excited to be back again for sure.
1: Well, listen, man, I mean, so much, so much has happened since the world got flipped upside down. And um, sort of watching you in the last couple of years go sort of from the digital empathy world where where you sort of had that viewpoint. And all of a sudden there was this opportunity for NFTs to sort of come along and really find its way into our culture. And you dove in with both feet. Mm-hmm. Um Produced the podcasts doing basically an NFT a day for, for a year. Um, Talk about baptism by fire, man, for doing that. So, I mean, everyone's going to get a chance to read all, all that sort of stuff in the show notes, but we wanted to just sort of jump right in for people who, who really still are late to the party. Um, What is your first thought that rocks around understanding and investing into NFTs?
0: So I think, my, you know, my first thought is, you know, the future of trust will be built through transparency. Mm-hmm. And I really think of transparency as something that many of us talk about, preach about. I know both of you, it's a staple in a lot of the conversations, a lot of keynotes that you both give. I've been blessed enough to be in the audiences with both of you. And it's something I've been believed in. I've, I've lived my brand very much from a transparent uh, level, but I don't think that technology has given us transparency into actual business. Mm. And so when we think about that from a standpoint of like, where's money going, where people invest things, how things are sent, when you donate money to a charity, we all know like the first thing people say, like, I hope it gets to where it's supposed to go, right? Like that's, And the the sad thing is like, a lot of that was just us hoping that like and the, the vehicle to actually deliver transparent shifting of value has never been there until recently, which is blockchain technology, which is the tech underneath of NFTs, which for those that are wondering, you're not going to care about because I don't know about you. I can't tell the difference between 5G and LTE. 5G and LTE for myself, I there's a million commercials that tell us why one is I still don't know what one does better than the other and that's kind of where blockchain will soon go but for those that like for just the the concept of it is it's a transparent ledger which if you think about it it's a transparent excel spreadsheet that allows us to track every single transaction that is made every single interaction mm-hmm. and with that can really add a layer of transparency which in turn will allow this trust to be delivered i believe in ways that we didn't know were possible and are going to allow transparency to integrate into our lives in places that like we just assumed would never be there in things like the supply chain management of amazon like we don't know where our stuff comes from or where or how things are going very soon it won't be just tracking it when it gets into the ups truck it'll be tracking it from where the parts were sourced from yeah. all the way through using nfts and that to me is exciting totally so
1: let me let me ask you this cuz you know i think we've seen at least in the last let's say 18 months to 2 years we sort of saw nfts explode onto the scene i think riding the wave of crypto when when it was booming and so every crypto millionaire out there had some money to spend and thus was dumping money into nfts and a variety of things whether it was you know jack dorsey's tweet uh, that that's worth next to nothing now or you know people or any of these others that really sort of understand that sort of digital ownership as well how much do you think crypto is going to stand in the way of NFTs really grabbing hold? Because I feel like myself anyways, crypto is still pretty intimidating for a lot of people and understanding what that's all about. And if that's the only way, which I know it's not, but it is the predominant way to purchase NFTs, is it going to
0: slow down that adoption that, that you sort of see coming? So I gave my best keynote on this topic this past week. Hmm. It took me 31 minutes into the keynote to mention the word NFTs, I never mentioned the word crypto and Mm. never mentioned the word metaverse to just give you that as the, I believe it's 99.9% of the roadblock at the moment. Mm. I believe in cryptocurrency for what it represents, this decentralized representation of value, but we also requires us to upend and to, you know, and really let's face it, the powers that be have every reason to stop crypto from being what crypto could possibly be. And the greatest example is, there's a small coffee company you might have heard of called Starbucks. And they launched the NFTs. They didn't call them NFTs, they called them stamps. They didn't call them wallets. They called them passports. And you are not allowed to buy them with crypto. You have to buy it with USD. You have to buy it with a credit card or transaction. And guess what? They are have exploded. They've dropped five different drops. They rolled out in a beta. I happen to be part of that initial beta. Not only is it to me the, the blueprint. But it removed all of that angst, right? Like, yeah. how do I get my money into exchange, and like, yeah. what are all these different, like, Bitcoin versus Ethereum, and 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 the average person couldn't tell you the difference between Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. But yeah. Bitcoin is a type of cryptocurrency, right? And like, I, I I will say this is you know I'm a futurist, not a perfectionist, but in 2015, I gave a keynote here in Washington D.C. on blockchain. And I said, the thing and I hope and my prediction would be the success of the blockchain will be if cryptocurrency is not the first mass adoption use case of the chain. Well, I was not a good predictor of that being the case because without question, crypto was. But I look at it like pretty much 99% of the use cases that I talk about with NFTs, my first one with transparency there. Has nothing to do with cryptocurrency, has nothing to do with buying and selling and collectibles. I mean, I have a storage unit of baseball cards. I'm a collectible. I love collectibles. But when I look at this whole technology, where it shifts us is far more than buying and selling Beanie Babies and, and monkey photos. And unfortunately, the crypto bro or the crypto world kind of infiltrated that and kind of got mm. stuck where we are. So yeah, yeah, to answer your question, I think it's 99.9% of the roadblock at the moment. Mm.
2: Can can you maybe expand a little bit on that? Because I know, you know, Brian, when you were first probably talking about this, it really in public settings, I think I probably sat in some of your clubhouse sessions. And then that just morphed into what you're doing with your podcast. And When you make a commitment that you're going to buy and talk about an NFT every single day for a year, like you're sticking your neck out there. I, I would guess people that come to your show or now listen to you as sort of an authority on this, They know what they're getting into, maybe just for our audience, because we have a pretty wide verse here. Maybe even just explaining the acronym, I think a lot of people probably know. But what the heck is an NFT? Because we've had Terry Brock on here talking a little bit about crypto. In fact, his was somewhat similar in title. It was understanding and investing in crypto. Now we're going to the next level where, you know, NFT, some people were going I'm not so sure what that is. I I feel like I I want to invest. I want to go there. My friends are doing it. What the heck is it? And how do I sort of get into it? I know this is superseding your first thought, but I feel like there might need to be a level playing field for some people. They just don't know, but they've clicked and they're listening now.
0: And for context, two years ago, I tweeted out from a clubhouse room, look at these idiots buying $400 monkey photos, right? And and that was my tweet, which is now lives in infancy. Because like I'm talking about a tweet, I wish I would have ever deleted because then I launched a podcast about four months later, all in on NFTs. I bought over a thousand of them now. I'm helping brands and businesses think about it. But for me, it's the intersection that I didn't know I was looking for in my entire career. I, a decade in cybersecurity for the Department of Defense. I left that space because I believed in this idea of the harmony between technology and humanity. Right. Like I don't, I don't like technology for technology's sake, but I do believe that to this day, right now, 50% of our lives are spent digitally. And I'm I don't believe we're gonna increase that. I actually think that 50% is pretty much where we're gonna be. The problem is for 50% of it offline, when I tell you, What are the things you own? You could give me a list a mile long, right? From your cars to your clothes, to your house, to the refrigerator. These are all things you own. You know what it looks like. If I told you for the other 50% of your life, give me a list of the things you own and how do you prove you own them? Mm -mm. Yeah, crickets, right? Because if you think about it, we literally went 50% of our lives into a space on other people's land, on other people's property from LinkedIn to email, to Instagram, to Facebook. And we almost just like accepted it until we got to a point where we were like, oh no, like we've given up everything. Mm. How do we pull the plug? How do we, how do we rank this back? And there really wasn't an answer to that until this shift towards NFTs. And so I like to think of NFTs and like Starbucks is a great example. And not because like, I sometimes feel like Starbucks is like using Apple for technology example because it's like, yeah, we're not all Starbucks, Brian. But here's, the, here's where I want you to think about it. Starbucks went all in. They have the largest, if not second largest, rewards mobile app in the world. Yeah. They integrated NFTs into their mobile app. And you might be like, wait a second, Brian. Isn't that the same thing they're rewarding? Well, in rewards, we all have rewards. We all travel. Mm-hmm. Do we own those rewards that we earned and that we ac- uh, accumulated? No. Because last time I checked, if the airline that we use goes bankrupt and belly up, what, how much are our rewards are are worth? And do we, do we have them on our person or do we have to go to log in to their property to check in and say, Hey, these things that we earned that are ours, let me have access to them. Oh, and you can keep track of them, which like that's the world we created. Mm -hmm. And so what NFTs really represent is ownership, no different. Than what we own offline just giving us a layer online and the biggest problem with that is we've all done it right like i mean think about it from everybody that's launched a brand or a logo or an and someone's like hey and, and actually you guys know a, a personal story of mine that i had you know someone that we but we all three know that came came back at me and like no that topic that you're giving a, a keynote on i talked about it first and i was like Oh no, you didn't! I pulled up a tweet, and he pulled up a blog post, and and I, and it was just like nonsense. And then I was like, wait, I think he screenshotted something else and changed the date because there was no way to prove or validate ownership in the blockchain NFT world. This is when the key is component: is everything is immutable. Once it was, once an NFT is on the blockchain, cannot be deleted. Cannot be edited. It shows mm. when it was created by a st- timestamp, and because it lives in this like decentralized blockchain world, there's no one company. The United States power could go out, the blockchain lives on. I can pretty much promise you, Amazon doesn't live on, Facebook doesn't live on, Instagram, and so the fact that we have this now way to validate digital ownership and it doesn't live on any one company's servers, that's what NFTs are. And so I don't wanna convince people to buy or sell or trade or marketplaces. I want us to realize 50% of our lives, we've been missing the ability to prove ownership. And the fact that we can do that is going to change every aspect of our lives.
2: Gotcha, gotcha. All right, that's awesome. Well, that's a good start. And, and Brian, I want to talk at some point about some of the stuff you thought about doing because, uh, you know, you, you, even with your black sheep book cover, I don't know if you guys have had a conversation about this on the side. I think that's something that you could totally get into just because of some of the creative art itself. I think is just awesome. But, um, I, I don't want to jump the gun because you might be including some of that stuff. What is your second thought that rocks on this?
0: Is that we are removing the starving from the starving artist. Mm-hmm. And it is right there where you, you set me up there beautifully, perfectly, right? Because when we think about artist, or, and I, let's not even, let's even go a little bigger, removing the, the starving from the creator, right? The, and, and I, it took me up until five years ago. And, and I think Brent, you and I even had this talk a long time ago. I, I, did, I, I struggled to call myself a creator mm-hmm. and I sure as hell did not call myself an artist up until very, very recently. Yeah. But the, the problem for me was always like, I'm a storyteller. I'm a talker. I've been speaking. I've created nine podcasts. Like I love that component, but this idea of, of creation and then monetizing it is a nightmare. And I have to say like, I am spoiled. You know, I have a little bit, you know, not a little bit. I have a lot of white privilege. I have a lot of early adoption first to market privilege that I've been monetizing my brand as a creator for nine plus years, almost 10 years now. Right. But I will tell you, it has a lot to do with my network, the the friends in the right places, being able to be able to align with brands that were like, oh, I hired you to speak. I'll now pay you to create content. Now, a majority of my friends, a majority of my peers are like, fans, it must be nice, right? It must be nice that you got all that. And the problem has always been that lack of ownership and that really like centralized entity because YouTubers, as much as YouTubers love their YouTube, they are... You know, Google all of a sudden changed what what the ad spend is or what the AdSense is for them. They have no yeah. no rights. They have nothing, right? Why? Which is why like, I had a great interview with Casey Neistat, who you know invented the term vlog, the king of the vlog. Mm-hmm. He said if he could go back and redo anything, it would be he would sell merch when he was launching his YouTube channel. And people are like, that's like the weirdest. You know, this guy made multiple you know, forty million dollars or something on YouTube, and his answer was, I made that on the back of YouTube. Merch would be on the back of me. Yeah. And that that idea goes into NFTs, especially for the artist, yep. because there's twofold here, right? I already said, when you if you put an art NFT online, it proves ownership, right? Which yep. is a big one right now. And this can go into everything. Designer handbags will no longer be able to be ripped off in the next year. I interviewed somebody on my mm-hmm. podcast just recently. The tech is there. Every designer handbag will come with an NFT digital twin. When someone goes to sell their NFT, their digital handbag, their Gucci, their their coach, coach might be the the first one that embraces it. I don't know that for a fact, but I've heard rumors that when you buy that, you're going to say, here's my digital proof of ownership. I'm going to sell it to you and transfer you the NFT associated. Now, all of this like, you know, secondary market people ripping them off the back of uh, a van's. I think it actually decreases like the price on some of these luxury goods when we're actually able to validate ownership. And then the second part of that is we know for artists being artists is the thing they want to do more so than anything else is to be an artist. Leave me alone. I don't want to market. I don't want to sell. I don't want to, I just want to be an artist. And the, problem that leads to is often undervaluing other underselling or sometimes just being able to sell in their local market or local area their talent but we've all heard stories right someone bought something for a hundred dollars they put it in their house for a thousand some rich person came by and said that's worth a hundred thousand it's worth twenty million dollars not only does the artist get zero percent of that but the artist doesn't even know who bought it what it was validated for and there was no way to actually even prove trace that right and in this world it completely changes because like I just had a piece of my, you know, I recently became what I would consider myself an artist. Uh, I've been selling AI art that I've been creating and it's a mind blowing world. If you, you would have told, I would have bet my entire life savings last time I was on this podcast that I would never consider myself an artist, but I've now sold, you know, upwards of $20,000 worth of art, which is just mind blowing for me to even say that out loud. (laughs) But I will tell you, one person just resold a piece. They bought a piece from me for $189. It was a piece that I created. It's part of my ADHD collection. And they just resold it for 1200 bucks. I got instantly, the minute it was sold, $120 directly into my wallet. No one, I didn't know who bought it. I didn't know who sold it. I didn't interact with them. They didn't do anything on their side. But it's built into the contract that if this is transacted, send this person, my wallet, yep. 10% of the royalties baked in there. That idea of changes everything for every artist because now they can spend more time doing that. And we're able to add royalties and actually proof of ownership. And you know, all these things that, like, let's face it, art has needed to be in there because we all need more love, more life, more art in our worlds. And unfortunately, who the hell figured out how to monetize that was such a, a small percentage. And so that's where this excites me the most. And it's, it's one of those things that, and you know, Brand, I think the work that you've been doing, the art that you've been doing, yeah. the story with your art and then yeah, the yeah. art itself yeah. to me is like everything that this space represents yeah. because for years from now, like Theo's and the memory and that connection to that art can live on and it can yeah, be no lived on in a way that can be validated, which I just think is yeah. so cool.
1: Me too, bud. I, I agree one hundred percent. You know, I, I think it's you are starting to see your you know the last oh, year, year and a half of of the music business right now. Looking at how are artists going to use NFTs to even potentially share royalties on the songwriter side, which has never been possible uh, before mm-hmm. NFTs. Uh, I I believe that the NFT sort of existence is going to disrupt things like Kickstarter and pledge yes. music um, because it's a completely different idea. You know, I can remember, you know, 10 years ago trying to do either it was either kickstarter or indiegogo or pledge music or pick your flavor um you know the band trying to raise money to go record their album before you know there's anything to really give and then it's like well i'm gonna give you uh, a cd and i'm gonna give you a signed uh picture of the band and i'm gonna give you you know two locks of hair from jt and you know whatever else i can throw into my package but But there's really, I mean, unless you're an Uber fan, there's not a whole hell of a lot of value to any of those things. But if I could give you a piece of future success, that's a whole other ballgame. And all it takes is one song to take off. On TikTok, on any one of these platforms, and all of a sudden, it's got 50 million, you know, downloads or streams on Spotify, and there's a little bit there to be shared. Well, that changes the entire thing of people willing to risk a little for the potential of a lot um, somewhere down the line. And so, I, I feel. Do you do you see that happening as well? Where. I think i've heard like dre is starting to do this now and build yep. around this idea of shared royalties you know because the music business is so screwed up and it's based on like a 200 percent model and there's publisher royalties and there's songwriter royalties and there's so many different things in there that it's not easy for anyone to understand but the idea that you could actually share with your fans who are the ones who are going to make it successful in the first place um I think that's that's an astonishing idea that is is going to basically render record labels almost powerless if it's successful.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's who should be scared right now is yeah. the middle person. And the middle person should be scared for AI and they should be scared for NFTs. Like yeah. and, and truthfully, they were put in there because we didn't have technology or mechanics to facilitate a trust exchange of value, trust exchange of contract, yeah. and really even trust exchange of collaboration. We, we all talk about, like, we all love and believe in the power of collaboration. But let's also believe that, like, most collaboration is destined to fail because of so many random moving parts that causes headache and, and like people complaining about one thing or other. Or how much transparency is there? And I mean, I will tell you right now, the music space, I mean, music and gaming are both at like at this cusp of complete disruption. I'm, yeah. I'm wearing actually Taylor Swift's hoodie right now, which I didn't even realize I'm a big Swifty fan. Um, and, you know, her buying back her music is a great example of ownership, right? Like loss of ownership, her having to buy back, re-record, distribute. Yeah. But what happened, us as fans, I mean, she's selling out every you know venue. It's ridiculous, right? Like my entire fee, my daughter's like, Daddy, how much birthday presents do I have to give up to go to Pittsburgh's Eras uh, toy, right yes. all of that Yeah, no kidding <laughs> but the 10 but years I, worth <laughs> but the idea of of not only shared with you know the the fan right like I, I I've shared this story before but like 2004 I joined Dave Matthews Band Warehouse 2004 mm-hmm. and I'm still a member to this day and you know what I've got like maybe a couple of locks of hair I probably could have got mm-hmm. I got some early discounts but Dave Matthews' band, as success has grown, as all of a sudden it was used on every Saturday morning football show for you know the, the World Series of Poker, he still uses it as their theme song. I've got 0.0% for being the guy that was like, yeah, I'll buy this $20 a month membership that makes no damn sense for a fan club that I can, I'm still going to buy your tickets. But yeah. imagine if that shifts, and it really shifts. I, I look at it as almost an American Idol model mm-hmm. in like the that music side where it's like, the undiscovered don't have to be discovered by Simon Cowell and a few people on TV. Yep. They can find those rabid fans yep. that discover and support them, and it also gives us, you know, it's something beautiful about this this country in like supporting creators and like those that we believe in that like bring happiness in our in in our lives. And I was, you know, I'm you know the elder millennial. I, I remember Tuesday mornings waiting at the at the mall for that CD to drop, right? Tuesday morning, every Tuesday morning. Yeah. And I'd buy the whole CD for one song because that's just pretty much how it worked, right? It yep. was like 1999 and we, you know, 14 songs, one of them that we cared about. Yes. And, and for me, that idea of 1999 for one song really was the way it worked. And then of course, Napster and streaming and all the things that we know that came after it. But I will tell you, like I've bought a couple songs recently. I bought Timberland's song, um, Timberland, who I actually went to school with his his brother in Virginia Beach. Huge fan of his. I bought his song, and with buying his song, which was cost me like it was like seventy eight dollars for like this song catalog, I would get the next six songs airdrop to me, and I have the rights. There's only hundred and sixty of us that have the rights to use his song in any commercial way possible. Mm-hmm. It's been played in my podcast three times. If you would have told me I could have Timberlands music in my podcast right. without being the pirated, you know, Napster kid, yes. I would have said you're crazy. And the, the interesting that part of that is, I just put in there my wallet and how it's linked. There's no, there's no need for any backend mechanics. You don't have to be a master of technology. And I think that's part of this that I just want to kind of make sure that is is hits home. Is all of this is done autonomously. Like, yeah. you, if you, if I own your your song and you want to validate that I own it, you can wallet to wallet. On this day, I bought it and it's in my wallet here. Yep. That layer has never existed online. Yep. And that's why we have things like YouTube that are trying to track like piracy and all that stuff. But yes, mm-hmm. musicians. I mean, I have I have a great interview on my show, uh, Sammy Ariega. And he said, you know, for seven years, it took him to build up to hit 10 million streams on Spotify, Nashville mm-hmm. Recording Honors. In one week, he sold a thousand NFTs that made more money for him than that entire seven years to hit 9 million live streams. And he's like, and now I have access to my real fans. You know what I got last week? Two of his new songs automatically to my wallet. And all he said was, if you love him, share him out. One of the songs you can't even stream because he only wanted to reward us, right? Like if if Dave Matthews all of a sudden said, oh yeah, that one song on my album, it's going to nobody. But if you were in the 2004 fan club and you bought my NFT, I'm going to airdrop it to every one of you that still own it. Yeah. Wow game changer right and yeah, that's me yeah. what Amazing. excites me about the space
2: hey listen we'll uh, we'll be right back after this message
3: welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit fuel your purpose and connect us all we believe in the incredible power of the human spirit its boundless resilience and the inspiration it brings to our lives on the driving change podcast we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission, that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.
2: So I know you guys were talking about music and gaming. Um, I think you mentioned that as well, Brian. Where, where where do you see sports? Because I do see, I think it was just three years ago or four years ago, maybe that they have decided to allow at least college athletes to make money off of their name and their image, some of the things that they're involved with. And then NFTs really came along. And And I know somebody who was involved in a company uh, we have a local uh, quarterback star with the University of Central Florida, uh, McKenzie Milton, who had a devastating injury and uh, wound up, when he finally got better, transferring to Florida State University. and And during that transition, his number, his jersey, his name, and he had a very specific signature. I know the company that wound up helping him develop a lot of those NFTs. But then since then, it just sort of fell off the market. And I don't know... Is NFT still really big in sports as well and, and maybe even beyond that, do, do you think it could, regardless of the industry, do you think that this is going to play a prominent role in, in the way the, the athlete, the star, the artist, the musician, whatever it is, they can make uh, a, a, either additional revenue or the revenue that was deserving of them anyway? Where, where do you see that when it comes to sports?
0: So I love that you went the NIL route, like that, you know, the name, image, likeness, uh, college, yeah. right? Because that is massive disruptive. We've already seen it in, in NCAA March Madness is now all of a sudden it's a level playing field because mm-hmm. you don't feel like you have to go to Duke to get the million dollars in your back pocket because, yeah. you know, that's what they do. I'm a Tar Hill fan, so I have to, of course, dig on, uh, anytime I can on Duke. <laughs> but to, to where you're going there now, the, I'll, I'll answer the last part first and then we'll go back. NFTs are still there from sports. But the, you asked like what happened. What happened was the lack of like infrastructure, education and really just kind of like uh, adoption of understanding yep. really just kind of dro- we were moving so fast in this space that we just kind of like kept being like, oh, don't worry, it's going to catch up. And all of a sudden the bottom fell out. And I will tell you, like, I own a bunch of NFTs that are on my wallet that are sports NFTs that I couldn't even tell you where to go, like what website to go to for me to pull them up other than I know the line item is in my wallet. And part of that's because everyone's kind of trying everything, right? It's part of that early adoption culture. But what it did prove in my opinion is that it's going to really impact the, the Olympian and like the college athlete, right? Like the, the, the pro sports, they have so many unions and, and people protecting back pockets and deals. And I mean, it's a nightmare, but I will tell you, I've, I had, you know, uh, Brian McFadden and uh, ex Pittsburgh Steeler and two others came to me and said, Hey, Fanzo, I'm working with two schools, Florida state and Maryland. And they were, focus on like softball and baseball and said, we have some athletes that have a fan base. Like if they do like a signing in their local area, everyone comes out and people want to support and want to be a part of it. And they want to, they want to own something as they go. And like, imagine if that was possible for and I don't even say like the, the Michael Jordan, right? Like let's go like a, a layer down that was like undiscovered, right? Like I mean, I think I think Daniel Robinson, right, was one that didn't get recruited out of college, but everyone in his high school knew that he was legit. And what if he was able to sell a hundred NFTs that were better than a his a rookie card because you were able to say I knew this guy was legit. At a hundred, and he said, "Don't worry. Every golf outing I go to, you're the hundred I take care of, right?" Like that. That that exists in this in the sports piece. But I will tell you, the sports thing that's really going to be dropped off, and it, the news happened this week that we're recording. Ticketmaster just dropped that they are fully integrating an NFT marketplace now. Ticketmaster is the, in my opinion, the the they caused all right? of this themselves, right? They are the yeah. monopoly conglomerate that is messed up all of this now. Yeah. The 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 flip side of this goes. Spotify just recently integrated, you know, uh, NFTs within their in their player, right? So if I love an art, like I'm a big OAR fan, right, and I saw that they're coming in concert in July, but if I own their NFT, there's actually a new playlist that would unlock inside of Spotify for only those of us that own their NFT. Like that's a pretty neat component. Ticketmaster, and this is where I think like stadiums. Think about it this way, and this is where I get excited about NFTs way more than monkey photos and selling them. Imagine if you were selling sponsorship to a venue or you're a musician and you're like, hey, I, I, I don't want to have to pay this fee to get this location. What if you could say, hey, we're going to airdrop every, everyone that buys a ticket. We're going to airdrop to them also a discount code for our sponsor. And then we're going to be able to track how many people show up to different places. Because this is part of it that is so overlooked is why do discount codes and things not really work anymore? Because we all are part of the problem. Like If I'm buying something of value, I Google Discount yeah. code best buy, yeah. right? Like, cause, and some Reddit, Reddit forums gonna have like that discount code. Yeah. But imagine mm-hmm. in the NFT realm that it's no longer that way where I drop it in your wallet and it's a one to one relationship. Now, if you choose, I give you this discount to transfer it or sell it, you can, but you now have a finite amount of discount, a finite amount of access and a traceable way of saying, who is influential, right? So let's say you have five sponsors and say, whichever sponsor drives the most ticket sales, your sponsorship for the next year is free. How does that change that like sponsor sports dynamic? Because now all of a sudden you can prove this, right? Because everyone that comes in our store, you're going to get an NFT. That's going to give you a free ticket to the sporting event. I went to this weekend. I went to my daughter's. Uh, we went to the Washington spirit, the soccer team up here. Amazing. I, I'm a huge, huge fan of, of women's soccer. Uh, but I will tell you, they had their largest fan sellout of the event, 11,000. But the men's one sells out at 28,000. Right. And I will tell you personally, I've been to DC United and uh, Washington Spirit. Washington Spirit game is better on the field, hands down. Uh, I'm not saying that because I'm a girl dad. I'm saying that because the sport actually is better in person for them. But the funny thing about it was like the same sponsors are on the stadium. But imagine if you incentivize those sponsors in ways that were traceable. It doesn't require any more work for the stadium. And we could actually prove, you know, who's influential, what you're getting. And rather than just sponsoring it, you know, we, we've, we've seen that, you know, giveaways at, at events, right? If Kobe hits his third three-pointer, you get free Chick-fil-A and everybody starts chanting Chick-fil-A, right? right? But then, like, how do you even trace that? And then how many people that got Chick-fil-A because they attended that bought tickets again? Yeah. Data that's a nightmare. But yeah. in this world, NFT world, data that is is seamless yes. to track, to integrate, to follow. And to me, that's where it's exciting for sporting events. Like, you know, like, imagine if for every season ticket holder... If you went into the venue, like I have season tickets for the Steelers, but a majority of people have season tickets for the Steelers sell a couple of their games a year. But if the Steelers want to reward their most loyal fans, I'm going to do a location-based NFT for only those that are in the stadium on stadium Wi-Fi on game day. You download this NFT. If you get all eight of them, your playoff tickets are free.
1: Yeah. Now,
0: you know, how do we get people out from behind the TV? How do we get people to experience the thing? All of a sudden, now we're able to add these layers of royalty, and that's what Starbucks is doing to kind of tie this full circle. Starbucks just said, "We don't have a community of coffee loyalists; we have a community of app users." And so, from and I listened directly from their chief digital officer, and he said, "Imagine how many amazing networking opportunities would exist if I could just connect." coffee drinkers with coffee drinkers. And I was like, like that was an aha for me. Cause I was yeah. like, wow. Think about that. Think about that from like, and even in this world where many of us, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't drinking anymore. There's a lot of people that ha- have changed to other things for, <laughs> for stimulate. Like the idea that like, Oh wait, I don't have to go to a bar. I don't have to go to the, we, we kind of remove that, like that element. But even in something like Starbucks, 30 million app users, there's no community to connect coffee drinker with coffee drinker. Yeah. But I will tell you, I own five NFTs of coffee. I'm, I care. I know more about Starbucks coffee than I ever should. <laughs> um, and but I also have now connected. And when I'm going to Seattle in three weeks, I'm going to be going right to the roastery, and we're all meeting up. And guess what? They they don't even have to do anything. With our NFT, we get access. We scan the badge of the door, and we walk right in that kind of like disruption is going to happen in all of these kind of physical events as well.
2: I love that. No matter where Fanzo goes, this is the stuff he's thinking about and looking at, he's at an event going, why not? Why not? Why not? Actually, brand as a side discussion. I mean, we've talked about this before. We should absolutely have some NFTs for boo for bookie call our, our marketing app that we have for books. I mean, you know, and and again, this might be, I I don't want to take away from your third thought here, which we'll talk about in just a second, but Brant, have you done any NFTs yet with, with either some of the artwork that you've been doing or even the book cover, you know, the, the black sheet book cover that, that, uh, Theo actually designed. I I don't know if you've done that yet. Have you?
1: Not on the book cover. Um, myself in, in my buddy, Marty Dodson, uh, famous Nashville songwriter, 10 number ones and however many mil 20 million songs sold or something like that. Um, he, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, starting. We have a company called uh, Song Source NFT, where we're sort of looking at what the idea of pledge music would be like if we used NFTs to raise money for artists looking to do their next oh, album well. instead of just the traditional things that it was. So, uh, we have not launched yet. It's built the, the marketplace is built. It's a, it's a all in one shop sort of, which is different than having to go to one of these other marketplaces to try to sell everything. So it's taken a little bit longer than we anticipated. Um, but, but we definitely see, you know, for, as a songwriter, you're very limited into where you can make your money. Um, and this is a chance for them to not just make money. Um, But to have some legacy that they can leave to their kids. Because it's one thing, it's one thing to sell a whole bunch of songs and you know, you you have a cut by, you know, Blake Shelton and he sells five million records and you can take that money and put your kids through college. But what happens after you're gone? That, you know, that money may or may not be there anymore. But if there were NFTs in place, it could be 20 years after you're gone and you're kids 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 are still making money off of that Mm -hmm. and that is something that has never existed um prior to this and and we see you know you've heard me talk about this idea of second life right that uh that we really live two lives and and the first life is ends when we leave the earth but the second life is the last time somebody ever says your name and so you know what are you doing to make sure your second life outlives your first Well, NFTs is exactly the answer to that. (laughs) And so, you know, it is something that is incredibly powerful on a legacy basis Um, to be able to leave something that generations can benefit from. That is something that um, is the difference between being rich and being wealthy, I think. Right. And And I think that that's part of what we are looking at building, if that makes sense.
2: What, what Brian, about what that your, artwork though? That you did uh, the Odin oh, sure. artwork. Like I love that. You, yeah, I mean, I, you do something with that. Oh, a hundred
1: percent. Yes, it, it, I will tell you. And I and Brian and I have had this conversation. It's intimidating as shit to try to understand <laughs> um, even how to create the NFT in a proper way. And you know, I I, I go back to you know my my youngest son Brady. Um, if I would have bought Sheeb when he told me to buy sheep, when I could yeah, only go to a Chinese Uniswap, <laughs> you know, uh, not exactly sure where I'm getting this from, I will tell you that he When he bought it, he bought $13 worth of Sheeb and ended up at one point having almost $80,000 worth of it in his wallet, um, off of a $13 investment. I, you know, was just a few months late by the time I figured out how to do what I should have just asked him to do for me. And, um, you know, I, I bought maybe $700 worth and at the, at its peak, it was worth maybe, Eighteen thousand or something like that, which is still, a, I mean, a phenomenal return. But man, if I would have bought what I, I bought when he told me to, I would have had millions of dollars when it was at its peak. But the idea of understanding what wallets to use and what you know, are you using Uniswap, or using Pancake Swap, are you what exchange and how much? What's the gas fees? And it's like it is so freaking mind-numbingly complicated. <laughs> that it dissuades me from wanting to pursue it. Um, uh, The only way that I see myself launching the art side of it is with somebody like Brian that can literally dummy me through it because it's just, it's until there's a, and and I know there are ways that are coming that take away a lot of the complications uh, for that. And maybe they already exist, but, but you know, part of the, I think the lack of adoption is, is because it is, enormously intimidating um even when you know enough to know sort of what to do yeah it's not like I, I don't know anything about it i know actually quite a bit but i still right. don't know what the hell to do with it with that well, information i brian i would assume that's pretty common
0: well let's also admit the art world as a whole has been intimidating on purpose right like how do you get something showcased in a that's right like they make this like the bar- they, they they made that on purpose, right? There was yep. like a, a a a real clear cut out. Like, yep. how hard is it to get to be in Sotheby's auction? Like, it, yep. it, it like takes an act of God. You have to be married to someone's brother or sister. Yeah. And the beauty of it is like, and and definitely will happily, uh, we should talk about this afterwards as well. But like, you know, what happened was all these marketplaces for NFTs popped up. Yeah. And they followed the Sotheby's old school way of like mm-hmm. the top one percent. We got you come in exclusive buy and sell here. Well. Thankfully, in the last nine months, that recognizing this like ridiculous barrier that we incre- yeah. you know, we made things more difficult, like they came to me and was before I had actually the art that's over my shoulders, all my art that I had sold my own NFTs on before I had ever sold any of those before I actually had made any of those. They came to me and said, Brian, you're so in this space. We are going to allow you to curate on one of these is called Nifty Gateway, a private site that is like kind of like the Sotheby's version of that's for online. And you can select any artist that you believe in and you can help put their NFTs on their marketplace. They get all the royalties, they get all the fees, but you're the curator. And I was like, what? Hmm. And that was the, the idea was like, they realized we're decentralized. You know, we don't want the man controlling. And all of a sudden it was like, wait, there's like two men in all these four different marketplaces controlling. And so we, we kind of deep, we kind of removed that. Yeah. And I will tell you now, I mean, I, you know, I'm so you mentioned I bought an NFT every day for a year. Yeah. I did a podcast every day for a year. Neither one of them would I recommend anyone ever doing ever. Like it was, it, and untruthfully, if I had believed that I was capable of doing it, I would have never done it. Yeah. Let's just be very clear on that. Like when I, I mean, I came up with the idea on November sixth. We launched on eleven eleven twenty one. Like yep. five days. If I had waited a week, I would have talked myself out of it. Yeah. Then all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, Like, I'm really into it. I ended up making it 365 days, but I didn't really learn my lesson because on December 12th, I was like, if I believe in this AI art thing and I want to be good, I need to do that. So today is day 111 in a row of me putting an AI art NFT out there on the internet. And this is coming from a guy that never thought they'd be consistent with my ADHD and such. But the the reason I bring that up is when I started this 111 days ago. Pain in my everything to figure out what marketplace, what blockchain, how can I make it? Like I wasn't even posting it on Facebook or LinkedIn because no offense. I didn't want to deal with any of my friends that are on there. They're like, fans, I love that. Like, how do I buy it? And I'm like, put my head through the desk. And yeah. this is someone I'm, I'm all in on this space, right? But since then, 111 days, I now am extremely confident on the site that I am selling because the beautiful thing is they remove the need for a wallet. You can buy with a credit card and it can live on the website. Now, if you're like, Brian, I want to own it because you just told me about ownership. It'll step you through creating the wallet and move it into the wallet. And so you can own it. So we're getting like, they're calling it web 2.5, but really we're finally putting like baby steps in. And baby steps is the wrong way to say it because it makes it sound as people don't know what they're doing. We're finally recognizing that the barrier for the entry point of this technology is too great. But I will tell you, this is a, a prediction for you by end of this year, Amazon will have the largest NFT marketplace mm. by the end of next year. Every person that owns an iPhone will have a wallet installed right next to their Apple Wallet on their phone, and all of this changes because I mean, Amazon. I mean, Amazon is. I mean, they're leaking things every day right now, which is probably like the most exciting component of all this. Because like we we found out they hired their first Am- um, Web three NFT person five years ago. Ooh. So five years ago. Bezos and Amazon was like, Oh, like, you know, this is the book company that was not, you know, (laughs) that sold books, right? Like that turned into Amazon the five years ago. They had hired someone and said, okay, what does ownership mean online? And what does a marketplace look like? So for anyone that's kind of like you, we haven't missed the mark and there's still a lot of barriers that need to be overcome, but even the 111 days, like I minted one this morning, it took me now. It took me many hours to create the art, but from art to on the blockchain to for sale, Six minutes, uh, and I will tell you if you know how to post to Instagram. Yeah, you could do what I did today. Like that, literally is I dragged it into a screen. Yeah, next, next, name, description, type of auction, post. That was that was the epitome of what I did. Wow. 111 days ago, it was assign a contract, map it to a, uh, an LDAP file. You know, assign it to a marketplace limit. It was like so. Yeah. Like that's how fast. Things are kind of evolving. And the beauty of this is we still have a long way to go. Yep. And even if a year from now, someone's listening to this episode and like, I miss it. You didn't miss it yeah. because the use cases are still here. The, the pieces are coming. But I will tell you like, Brent, for like the art side, yeah. the legacy component, when you said that, yeah. I haven't doubled down on that on my podcast yet. And you've inspired me to do that because- that is something really, like, and and we could tie it to authors, sure, right? Like authors in your book, like when does a business book lose its value? Let's face it pretty soon after it's, it's yeah. published in the sense of like, we Game know how the world, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like, and, but imagine, imagine if you were able to have, and this is where we're moving, like websites today is like what we project yep. website and like our digital footprint in the future is to go there and say, what is your legacy? Yep. And I could be like, "Wow, this book was published on this date with this author. It sold this many this many copies that was rewritten in the Chinese, and I could see that all visualized, and you don't have to tell me I don't have to trust you because you know we all know every speaker that we've ever met has shared this stage with Michelle Obama um, most of them if not all ninety nine percent of them have not." Yes. Um, We can actually prove it. And that's actually a funny thing from speakers because I believe we're going to get that from events. Every event we speak on, we're going to get an NFT that is – and it's going to be a soul-bound NFT, which is another version Mm. of you can't sell it. So like our driver's license will be soul-bound NFTs. Mm. They'll be attached to our individual soul as in my wallet. So when I get the next driver's license, shouldn't like how ridiculous is it like – If we have to prove that we are a citizen, we need a piece of paper that's stored in a piece of paper library in our U.S. government office somewhere random that like, and like people aren't able to get into the country because they don't have the right paperwork that is stored in this like archaic, you know, library. But shouldn't we own that? Like if it's ours, shouldn't I just be able to pull up and say, here's my driver's license? And I should be able to say, I'm going into a club, share my driver's license information for 24 hours with this club. Don't share it with them forever, right? This is where, like, I, I think we probably haven't tapped on this is like data control has. There is no such thing as data control today. Yeah, none, right? Yeah. We we all we all every app that we've ever used for free, we decided to pay with our data, and we I, I loved it. I you know whenever Amazon would remind me on Facebook that I had something in my store, I'd be like, oh, thank you, Amazon, you're amazing. Like, you know, it was like like I didn't care that I was getting retargeted and all these things, but there there comes a point where like, wait a second, shouldn't I, if my data is so valuable, have some sort of say, some sort of, and like, I use the example of going to a stadium. If you go to a stadium, you're like, I don't want a single soul to know that I bought this ticket yeah. and I don't want a sponsor to know. Guess what you do in your wallet? Don't show anyone. They scan you in and that data is anonymous. It is never tied to you, to individual. Mm-hmm. And now we as individuals say, I don't want anyone to trace me. Or I say, you know what, I'm going to get discounts on merch and on, on food and I don't care if it's a sponsor, sign me up. And like yeah. that layer of control, zero exists right now, right? We can't, mm-hmm. eat, there is no levers that we can play. The Amazon, it's where Amazon's going, right? Amazon, the reason they're playing in this is think about all that data control and how it shifts that entire narrative where like, I don't want everyone to see my reviews of certain content that I bought, bought or certain things that I bought, but certain people I don't mind, but I want it to be anonymous. Yeah. I don't want it to be attached to my my name, image or likeness. Yeah, That is so out of control, but we're moving to a place where we are able to take back control, but it's going to take a while for us to own it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, your driver's license, passport, your home ownership, right? Your deeds to your house, all of that yeah. will live in nft form it won't even be probably called an nft it'll probably call it your digital receipt yes, or yeah. digital proof of ownership it'll have some yeah, other yeah. name on it but it's exciting because we will then actually own the aspects of our digital life that today we haven't even thought about
2: i knew this was going to happen i knew our 30 minute podcast would be an hour because fans is too smart <laughs> he's got too he's much, got too, much. There's too much awesomeness in this episode, this is going to be fantastic. And we're not even done yet. I know you've got your, your third thought there. You got to bring us home, man. What is your third thought that rocks? You've given us so many already.
0: So I, I mean, I, I love jamming out with you guys. And like, and that's, you laughed earlier in the show, you know, you mentioned pre-show you're like, do you have any time? I'm like, dude, I'm hanging out with you guys. I'm blocking off all kinds of time. Cause that's I know awesome. that's how it works. But you, when I, so that the third thought that rocks is the idea of shared ownership, right? Mm-hmm. And this idea of shared ownership creates loyalty. And shared ownership for, for almost all intents and purposes has never existed online, right? It's been very transactional in our digital world. We buy something, we get access to something. You buy something, you get access to something. Shared ownership, it shifts the entire conversation because people are like, oh, millennials aren't loyal, right? That was like the thing I, you know, I, g- I gave talks for years on millennials, right? And, and it was like, wait a second. No, millennials just realized there was choices, There was other generations that were like sheltered and didn't know what was outside of their bubble and didn't realize they could Google and didn't realize they had all this information, right? Like a lot of that, like lack of loyalty was twofold, right? Like a, what, what do I get for being loyal? Right. We see this with sports teams all the time. They want the player to be loyal, want the player loyal, take less money, take less money. The minute they have a bad season cut. You're like, you're like, no wonder these like loyalty doesn't exist, but in a shared loyalty, you know, environment, I believe that's where community thrives. I believe that's where we, you know, the mantra of my podcast is we is greater than me. And I've said that for a long time, right? Like yeah. to me, that is such an element of like, how do we, you know, like the the quote that we, we all say on stages, like rising tide lifts all boats, right? That whole, that idea, honestly, it's why almost every Facebook group we've been a part of fails. Yeah. It's why every digital online community fails at scale because yeah. shared ownership has not been able to, to exist in the sense of in twofold, yeah. Right where I feel like the more successful and the more something grows, we all benefit. Yep. And when I no longer feel something is valuable, I can sell that or I can ch- exchange that value for yep. what I put in. Because yep. I don't know about you guys, there's plenty of times where I'm like, I think it's going to probably be great for me for a year, but I got I to gotta invest all of that. And after a year, I'm going to leave and get nothing for my year putting in. Like, yes, yep. I got things along the way. And so yep. I really look at this idea of shared ownership changing everything i know you brought the songwriting side like yeah. imagine how much more music collaborations happen yeah. when they don't have to like fight over a manager and who gets this royalty you literally sign up and say hey we're going to sell this as an nft yeah. and we're going to put in the contract 50 percent goes to your wallet 50 percent goes to your wallet any questions nope music is out the door like imagine how that changes all of those dynamics yeah. and to the point that we've been kind of understating. This is in perpetuity, right? This is not deletable. There's no way to kind of like remove this from the chain. And and and, and the other side of it is security, right? I, I mentioned decade in cybersecurity. I worked cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. The problem with cybersecurity has never been the tech, ever. Yep. It's the people. Yep. We as humans are the number one vulnerability. I worked at the Pentagon and everybody was always like, Brian, is it the Chinese or the Russians? I was like, nope, it's the Americans. <laughs> so it's all those yep. that are in there because yep. we either – put our password so simple or we we share our password in an email or we we take a selfie and the, our passwords on a sticky note like we are the we are that like vulnerability yeah. and interestingly enough when you're able to put contracts out and I, and I did this with chat gpt the other day i actually put in the chat into the ai i want to write a contract for this please give me the code for it i took the code sent it to my developer that i work with he said there was one line on one thing that he would change, but it would never have aired out. And it was actually a secure piece of code that I could have activated and for my NFTs wow. using ChatGPT to create it and implementing onto NFTs. And the beautiful thing is once I put it out there, like my art that is up there, I can tell you, which you, know, you can go look, Brian sold 11 pieces on 11 weeks and they sold out in this many minutes because you can see it on the blockchain. You don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to believe in that side, but you also can recognize like, you know, track record of work. Right. And like even track records of experiences. And so like shared ownership to me is my family's own Steelers season tickets since 1969. How do I even prove that or show that? Like, I say to people are like, I believe you fans though. Cause you don't ever stop talking about Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah. But like from the outside, like, shouldn't my family, like the legacy that we have with that team, yeah. that just to be clear, it was bought in 1960 for four thousand eight hundred dollars. The Rooney family bought the Pittsburgh Steelers four thousand eight hundred dollars. Uh, the the Washington Commanders are about to sell for six billion dollars with a B. And my, yet, my dad was one of the very first families that bought four tickets and like kind of like grandfathered in. Yep. No legacy, no proof of ownership, no proof of attendance. Yep. We've had a fan zone at every Super Bowl the Steelers yeah. have been in. Can yeah. I prove it? No. I I know it's true it is but like my dad went to the my dad went to the first five my brothers and I have gone to the the, to the rest but like even that kind of like proof of experience proof of ownership proof of attendance right and then the last thing I'll throw on that with shared ownership and it ties back to I know both of our shared audiences you know all three of our shared audience you know the author game right this idea of like you know like connecting like you know how many books do we have from all of our friends that are mm-hmm. our speakers that we all are a yeah. part of we you know gladly share out and promote and talk about you yeah. know and, and i w- i you know i would definitely black sheep you know this isn't pumping the bags but it's the book that i mentioned the most hands down without even hesitation Brent. that is Thanks, uh, thank you for that book for yeah. for so many reasons in so many ways it is it is so powerful and and the interesting thing on that is like for me i want to gift that experience right but like yeah. Gifting that is like such a weirdly world of like, do I Amazon transfer someone? And like, and I, I want to know, like you gift this and you have to give two more out. Like the idea of like, how do we share books or access to content? And I, I firmly believe every speaker, every coach, every entrepreneur wants to reward their most loyal people. Yep. And yet the problem has been like, we do it when we launch in a book, we do it when we're like have something, but, but imagine if that loyalty could just exist and you could tap in right now, Brand. you could be like, you know what? Everybody that I sent that care package to, and yep. you know, for, for the launch of the book, yep. I want to, I want to give them access to my friend's book. and I want to put it in their, in their wallet today. You could yep. do that immediately. Or you could say, Hey, in every one of these wallets, tell them I'm donating to this cause yep. because it's aligned with what I meant. And they know I already hooked them up and I took care yep. of them and gave them yep. that shows up in my wallet. And I get yep. to go click donate in a heartbeat. So like, yep. if you rethink like, Every and the, and the place I'll leave this from like a uh, an action, right? For every person that's listening, this can be overwhelming, NFTs. Think about it this way. What are the things that you would give your most loyal people if you knew they were the only ones that could get it? And even if they couldn't use it in that moment, they could gift it, sell it, share it, but they would own something. What would you give them, them along the way and then what are the things that you could continue to add value in and, and build upon? Because, you know, you were laughing about like that loxahara Sahara of the musicians, right? Like, but like for me, it's like, if I knew at, because I went to this many concerts that I had first right for tickets and my venue here in Virginia, every time yep. for that artist coming in the town or, you know, Hey, that meet and greet that we give to only a select random few, which is like the rich kids, you know, yep. parents from the sponsor yep. went to my most loyal, how many, how many more artists would do, fan signings if they knew it was their most loyal people yeah how many more people would 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 get a book out knowing hey these people that have been ride or die with me yeah. i can take care of them and that disconnect has existed forever because we just really haven't had like i mean they're in our email list right and like yeah. and then we celebrate like a three percent open rate and we're like wait <laughs> did you just tell me that you own them because they're in your email but yet you celebrate 3% of them actually opening it. That's not really ownership. Right. What if I could guarantee 100% gets into the wallets of the people yeah. that bought your first pick, 100% drops into their second and their second one? Yep. Now we're changing the entire marketing sales game. And it goes to that idea, yep. you don't need to boil the ocean, yep. a thousand true fans, Yep. You reward, celebrate them, they're loyal to you, you're loyal to them, and... And that's where this all goes forward. So yeah, that's, that's number three. And it wasn't quick or short as you asked.
1: I, I, you know, I think of, um, somebody like the green Bay Packers, right. Where you've got like a D market that, uh, because of shared ownership is one of the strongest, most powerful football franchises in the United States. Um, without shared ownership, that wouldn't happen. Right. And they're the
0: only team team that did that too. right? Right. Like. Which is just mind-blowing. I know. And so,
1: you know, you, you sort of move that to somebody like a Taylor Swift who knows that her success is really on the back of the community she's built, which is mm-hmm. arguably one of the strongest communities that exist. Um, and Ticketmaster, let's just call it what it is, fucked up so badly. On on this last tour, that it led to crying daughters everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Um,
2: awesome. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I think look about at that how many and,
0: ruined relationships that she curated. Yeah, that she cared about. Yeah, that a middleman ruined. Yeah, not her, not the yeah. musician, right?
1: Like, well, now you know the fact that they're going to get into NFTs kind of pisses me off because they sort of created the problem to solve um that uh you know they're now going to benefit from i'm happy that it hopefully will eliminate as much of that craziness that that happened i can't tell you how many people reached out to me after that happened and said "Brant, who do you know in the music business that can get me taylor swift tickets and the answer is nobody Zero. <laughs> because that's like you know let me let me call Obama tomorrow. <laughs> um, it doesn't happen that way. Um, and and when there is demand at the level that she has, uh, it, it's it's a nightmare scenario. But it's one that truly, truly, truly could be fixed with the NFT environment, as opposed to people. Who belong to this club or that club, or if they join this VIP, they get access, early access to call an hour earlier, or to do this. Or, it's still very cumbersome and very much by chance. It's it's better odds, but it's still by chance that with the NFT stuff, there's no chance. It just exists. You just have it, <laughs> and well, so
0: and, you know it's going to flip the entire way that something that that is even delivered. Yeah, because right now Taylor Swift picked. 52 or 42 locations, you know, or not even 42 locations because she had some back-to-back, you know, uh, you know, locations for, um, you know, her events, right? She picked those locations and said, you know, buy the tickets, right? Imagine in the future, it's like, I'm opening up these tickets where the tickets are sold. I'm going to put this many concerts. Four days are going to go in Green Bay, Wisconsin, because I sold that many ticket NFTs there and all of a sudden, I'm going to go to where my fans are. Now that takes, I mean, it completely disrupts even the way we think about supply and demand, the way that we yeah. think about access uh, to people. And and someone even said, you know, she decided to do three hours and 15 minutes, 44 songs. I mean, whoever, whoever did her workout regimen, like good, yes. goodness, but like she decided to do that. And, and the interesting thing was her press team came come out and they didn't say it like verbatim, but was like, she chose an extra 30 minutes a song, then 30 minutes with the fans that bought the VIP package. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now the problem with that is because like for her, like, talking about like a disconnect and like react, like I kind of don't blame her. 70,000 people get 30 more minutes of your music or the people that had enough money to buy like the express ticket. But imagine if she was actually able to like gate that and reward that and like change this, like, you. Know, and, it, and it does, I think for anyone that's like questioning like the technology humanity side, right? Like I said, the reason that I felt like this is the intersection for me that I didn't know existed was because I don't want more tech for more tech reasons. Mental health is such a big piece for me. Yep. You know, the, the removing biases and stigma around ADHD and a lot of stuff that, like, matters so much to me. Yep. And, and part of it is, like, how can we create these, like, l- these, you know, swim lanes and these marketplaces and this ability for us to create some of these great experiences? Because how many other musicians that aren't Taylor Swift that have a loyal amount of fans that could Mm -hmm. sell a thousand of them and say, Oh my goodness. I didn't know that down in Miami this weekend, that that many of my fans were down there. I'm going to do a pop-up event, drop it into my Miami wallet holders. And now I have this many people that are able to come there. Like it changes that entire IRL physical experience with digital ownership, which I, I, I just wish more people explained in the NFT game because all we hear about in the media and news is, you know, the, the 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 tweet that's worth nothing. Justin yeah. Bieber spent four million dollars for yeah. something he can't sell for forty grand. That's right. But no one talks about the idea that like Shaquille O'Neal launched a a campaign for donations to put book bags in schools in Florida. Yeah. Before he did it, he went to every school district in Florida, signed them a wallet. And when I bought my NFT, I got to watch my my ether go from into my wallet from my wallet to contract. contract to school district and Shaquille O'Neal said believe me now and like Mm -hmm. that's a story no one hears I own I own 15 of his NFTs I was a big Shaq fan but like how cool is that from a donation perspective like like, how many like you know Cannonball I know you guys like that that like like think about that from the standpoint of how many people aren't sure of different things you're like oh wait you can I can see that my money goes Yep. You also can see who donated. So you can reward me with, you can put in pictures of the updates with the kids and the things that we're doing directly access to me. Yep. This like it. the relationships and it goes to that third point, right? Like yep. shared ownership yep. changes our entire digital use case, yep. but we just have to get there. And you know, we, we, we spend about 15 years going the other direction of like how far can we distance ourselves from everyone on digital? And, yeah. and now we just have to figure out how to bring this all back, you know, full circle.
1: Well, that's amazing. But listen, Anybody that knows you knows that that there is more in for your 10 pounds of information in a five pound bag. And uh, we love that about you and just so generous with with your time and expertise. What's the best way for people to to stay in touch? Is it the podcast? Is it the site? Is it what's the best way for them to, to stay in touch?
0: Well, I feel like I finally gave a little bit into the masses and I finally like, quote unquote, niche down. And I launched a podcast NFT 365 and then everybody came to me and was like, fans, your podcast isn't really NFTs because you talk this side, right? Like Web3, humanity, we talk ADHD, like the episode that comes out tomorrow is about mental health and burnout online. Um, So NFT 365 is the podcast, you know, it's available everywhere uh, and anywhere. Um, But, you know, I'm still the same. Uh, I social fans with the Z. Uh, on every social channel, crazy enough, even with a daily podcast, I'm still pretty damn active on uh and every on every social channel just because I, I do love it, you know that side of just interacting and and you know and I will say like the more experiences I have like this, yeah. the more I become even more bullish on what I have because like I, I'm a, such a big fan of both of yours and I and I know your audience enough to know like there's so many great people creating great things, making great movements, getting on stages, writing books, and unfortunately like that impact is all is, is crazy enough. Still. So such a limited thing. And if like, this can just open the eyes to one or two people that can see like, wait a second, like I can really take this. I mean, I'd give you five hours anytime you guys ask. So, uh, you know, good I appreciate time. you guys having me on.
2: It's too good, man. Too good. Listen, man, we, we love you. We're always, uh, uh just rooting for you and everything that you're working on. I feel like I'm super way behind on NFTs. Now I feel like there's some things we should be doing. Some stuff. So I I got I got one for you. Yeah. So I I
0: have a I have a second podcast that I only did 12 episodes on because someone was like, Fanzo, 365 episodes for average is 42 minutes, and I talk this fast. So like (laughs) you know, I get an hour and forty minutes in 42 minutes. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, oh, you're right. So I created a, a podcast. There's only 12 episodes. Curated it in the language of like you learn the way that I think you need to learn. It's called getting started with NFTs. And it's available in every podcasting app. There's only 12 episodes, but I talk about like the language, getting a wallet, what an exchange is, some of these use cases. I talk about creating your own. So yeah, getting started with NFTs, Jim. Gem- and I and I I did it purposely from that standpoint of like when you finish it, you're it's gonna at least you're gonna be like, well, at least I understand now the level set of all this craziness, nonsense, <laughs> where it's going. But yeah. To the point of it is i will also say we need more people that have problems and use cases that i can help solve them because like playing with the crypto bros that are on crypto twitter right now and solving monkey photos and and discord channels does not entertain me at all burning me out so jim you come up with a you know one of your uh you know great brainy ideas sign me up for uh, you know help bring that to fruition here in nfts
2: you're the best man well we'll definitely do that And we're gonna have all of this information by the way including that podcast i think people would be interested We'll have that in the show notes. And at some point, I gotta see your collection of monkey photos. I mean, you've mentioned it three, four times. I'm sure <laughs> there's, there's gotta be a good one in there. Man, you're, you're there's a couple good, good ones. Thank there's
0: you. a couple good ones.
2: <laughs> and and listen, we'll uh, we'll have you back on again because I mean, uh, you know, I think Brant's right. I mean, right now it might be this specific stuff, but you're great at retaining information and uh and and putting it out there for people to really grasp and uh we learn something every time we hang out with you man we we just love you so much and it's it's an honor to have you on for the second time appreciate you having me hey rock stars thanks so much for tuning in yeah listen we know how busy you are and grabbing those little nuggets of wisdom that can amp up your life are super hard to come by So we hope this episode helped you enough for you to maybe subscribe and consider leaving us a rating and a review so that we can continue to grow the show. Thus That Rock is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast
1: Network and also supports Cannonball Kids Cancer and their fight for finding and funding treatment options for kids who have run out of options. They're amazing. Their work is incredible. To learn more, please go to cannonballkidscancer.org.
2: Finally, if you're interested in having Grant or Jim or both of us speak at your event, whether as a virtual webinar or an in-person conference keynote or mastermind, contact us directly at thoughtsatrock.com. Until next time, rock, rock on. on! You've got
0: questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging.